This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Kaylee Reynolds Flynn, who has been riding horses since she was born. Her mother would take her on trail rides as a baby, and she would fall asleep in her mother's arms on the back of a horse. Now an adult, Reynolds Flynn's passion for horses has not faded. She lives in Alaska with her fiancé, Travis Perkovich, her horse, Tango, and their husky puppy, Gimli. She has bred a mare named Girlfriend and is expecting a foal in June. This fall, Reynolds Flynn became Burn Knox Westerlo's first graduate to earn an American FFA degree. So congratulations, Kaylee. And I'd just like to start by hearing what exactly that degree is. What did you do to accomplish it? Um, so it starts out by working with your supervised agriculture experience, so your SAE, they call it. So for mine, it was pretty easy. I got to work with my own horses at our farm. Um, so it was just a lot of putting the hours in to work with them. Um, mine specifically was working with our carriage business at the time. So I got to like help train the horses. We did different um, carriage ride events that counted towards it. And then you also have to um, actively put in like an investment amount of money towards your SAE. So, you know, between feeding the horses and getting the tack for them, it was it was pretty easy to get there. So tell us about you and horses. I looked up an old story we did because you had won a state competition at that time in your life. You were hoping to work with dogs. Um, and did a presentation on what state troopers do with their dogs. But in in that story, you said that you had been a rider for as long as you can remember. Just tell us, tell us about how you came to horses and why they're so important to you. Uh, So my mom actually grew up riding horses, too. So my favorite picture I have is of me, and I was probably about, I don't know, three, four months old with my mom sitting on our old horse, Vandy. And so she, like, immediately got me riding. She'd always tell me stories how she would take me as a baby on these trail rides, and I would just fall right asleep in her arms on on the back of a horse. Oh, my gosh. What a heritage to grow up with. So your mom must be so excited with what you're doing now. Yeah, she is. So tell us a little about your time in the Hilltowns, because it seemed to me really unusual. And maybe I am too old school stereotypical, but weren't you a firefighter in Knox? Wasn't that one? I was, yep. Yeah, and you think of that as such a male-oriented thing. Were you the only female yeah. in the in the crowd there? Uh, no, actually. When I joined, there was two other females, and then one of them actually left. So there's still one up there now. And she's actually, when I left, she was a captain, and I believe she's still working her way up the ranks. And she's an amazing firefighter, so I looked after her as oh, during my time her. there. Who is that? Who is that? It was Sue 
Oliveres, I believe is how you say her last name. But she was actually an Altamont firefighter first, and then she moved up to Knox. Oh, wow. So how did you become so secure as a young woman to be able to pursue some of these things that we think of as male? I mean, farming, too. It just seems like you're kind of a barrier breaker. Is that true? Uh I mean, I guess so. I don't know. Um, I always thought that, you know, if a man can do it, so can a girl. (laughs) And I guess you're proving that's true. Well, so (laughs) just kind of tell us a little. You mentioned your your family and horses and how your mom had you as a baby on a horseback. What what exactly is their horse business and what did you do when you were living there? Uh, so it's not so much business anymore, but we ran a um, wagon or a horse-drawn carriage business. So um, what is that? Oh, oh, Stuyvesant Plaza. That's the name of it. Um, they, I'm not sure if they still do it, but the month of December, they would do carriage rides every weekend. Yeah, I was horses. just there taking pictures of it yesterday. <laughs> They're still doing that. Yeah, so we were we were one of the... Uh, companies that did that for a little while so we would do that um we used to do weddings as well so people would request to have a horse-drawn carriage and we would have you know the white cinderella carriage that we would use in our horses too so yep that's well, the type of event we did yeah well behind that mythic old-fashioned view i bet there's a lot of hard work right what kind of horse what kind of horses were they and what did the care of them involve um well we had belgians and pertrons um so you know we would we actually we had a little bit of a breeding program at one time so we would breed the horses then once the foals are born we would raise them from baby um so that's just a lot of like desensitizing um training in a harness and then you know you have feeding them every day and then you have like the whole hay season during the summer where you would you know stock up on on all the hay and so it was was just a bunch of training a lot of training with them um desensitizing (laughs) a lot of that involves especially like for Stuyvesant where you have cars going by so we have to make sure like horses won't freak out when the cars go by and so how do you so, train them? How do you, as you say, desensitize them? What, you drive uh, cars by them or you honk horns or? Pretty much, actually. Um, so we would always have this like one old horse who was like, you know, basically bomb proof is what we would call him. So she wouldn't spook at anything. So we would use her and our trainee horse and we would put them in a hitch together. And um we would call it like going like around the block. So we would just, we would drive like about two miles um, in this circle that would eventually lead back to our house. And um, on two of those roads, it was actually pretty busy. So we'd have cars going by and that was just one way. And then once they got used to the cars going by, one of us would get in a car and we would like, you know, honk the horn, make sure they stood good during that and lots of rewarding and praising them for good, good behavior. But yeah, that's pretty much what we did. Wow. So tell us what happened right after you graduated. You went on to Cobal Skill, is that right? Yep. I got accepted to SUNY Cobal Skill for their canine training, actually. <laughs> Because that had been your goal, to work with dogs. 
Yeah, you, it was at the time. And what was it that changed you to return to your first love horses? Um, as much as I, I did enjoy the canine program, it was a lot of fun working with dogs. But that full year, um, just in all of their canine classes, it kind of like came back to my realization that my true passion was working with horses. So I switched my major over to um, an associate's in equine husbandry. And that's how I finished out my degree. And then what brought you to Alaska? Uh, it's actually my fiance brought me to Alaska. Oh, so this is a fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, pretty right. So tell us about your fiance. Is he from Alaska? Uh, yep, he is. And how did you meet him? Um, we actually met. So we met through my stepdad and his dad. We're pretty good friends. So that's how that's how we met. And tell us about I looked up to see where you live and you're just like in this gorgeous place. The, uh, maybe I'm saying it wrong. The Canine Peninsula. Is, is that what you Kenai? Kenai? Yeah, it's the Kenai. Kenai. OK. Kenai. And it's got two million wilderness acres. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And your town itself. How do you say that? Soldatna? Yep, Soldatna. And it's only 4,000 people. So yep, that's yeah. a pretty <laughs> little town in the middle or the edge of a large wilderness. Just kind of, if you could describe what what it's like there. Um, it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's almost like the hill towns where it's, it's just a small town with, you know, you got your essentials, you got the, your grocery stores, like, you know, all your car stores and <laughs> all stuff like that and you know, it's just small population, so it's pretty nice. There's local so a bunch of local stores, which is really nice. So there's a lot of shopping local and supporting local businesses. Yeah, that's a great kind of economy to have when you're in the middle of a large wilderness area. So yeah. um, what is it that I know you said you were crazy busy when we were trying to set up um, an interview and I. I understand that you work in fishing weight fabrication. I don't even know. What does that mean exactly? Uh, it, I, uh, I work in a lead shop. Is, uh, okay. which is, so um, we melt down lead and then we pour it into molds to make um, weights for fishermen. Okay. And so is this season busier than others? Or are you just crazy busy all the time? <laughs> Uh, crazy busy all the time. Right now we're working on what they call like end of year orders. So it's just people like trying to stock up for the next fishing season to come in a few months. So there's a lot of fishing in Alaska. What kind of fishing is it that these leads um, are used during for? The summer, during the summer, it's, uh, there's a lot of salmon fishing. And then um, you go out like ocean fishing and catch uh, halibut. That's about all I know. I'm not very, do you, so you don't fish yourself, but you make the the uh, lead weights that make it possible yeah. for them to do that. Do yeah, you, I'll go out salmon fishing. That was pretty fun. I tried that this summer. And just tell us what's that? Because it's all an adventure from here, you know, Alaska, <laughs> where you go out, obviously, on a big boat. And do you cast nets or what? How does that work? Um, so what I did is you're actually right on, you go uh, you 
throw your waders on and you just stand hip deep in the Kenai River. And oh. it's almost like fly fishing. So you just oh. throw it out, let it go downstream, and then you keep going. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. So waders are like <laughs> these big, tall rubber boots, and you're standing probably in a very cold stream. And did you catch any yeah, fish? Uh, I did. Yep. I oh. caught five or six salmon. And so I bet you are somebody that knows how to cook fish now. Uh, no, not me. My fiance does. <laughs> oh, good for him. So is he from Alaska? Is that where he was born and raised? Well, he was born in Wisconsin, but moved up to Alaska at a very small age. So he's, you know, pretty much from Alaska. Yeah. Well, Let's hear about your horse. I looked at your Facebook page, and you just look like one with your horse. Tell us who is your horse. What is your horse's name? Uh, his name is Tango. Tango. How did he get that name? Um, I, you know, I'm not positive. I actually bought him from my soon-to-be sister-in-law, and she bought him from one of her friends, so... It's kind of a <laughs> bottom from someone, so it's and just the name he came with. Yeah, you kept the name. It's a good name. Um, so, what yeah. kind of a horse is that? Um, he's act, he's some type of cross that we're un, unsure of. He's got a little bit of quarter horse in him, but that's that's about all I know. And did you breed him? Is that what I understood? Or no? Um, so it's. Uh, so my soon-to-be sister-in-law, her name is Kim. She owns the horse. Her um, her mare, her name is Girlfriend. That's the horse that I bred. So how do you go about doing that? Um, so what we did is you would pay, like, the stud fee is what they call it. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, um, you know, like covers bringing our mare to that facility and getting what they call a live cover of a breed so it's not like artificial insemination the horse is like right there being bred to the stallion so that's what we did and you have to do that several times or is it just like you did it once and everything worked yep yeah um, i think they did it about two or three times just to make sure that's what you would normally do just to really make sure that she was bred and then how long is the gestation period and how long does it take um, to about 11 months or 340 days is the rough estimate. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a long time for a human being and nine months waiting, but you must have been, those 11 months must have been very, has, has the foal been born? Oh, no. She's, uh, she's due this coming June. Oh, gosh. Beginning of June. Oh, wow. Yep. So this excitement is on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. And so when I saw the pictures, and this just probably shows my ignorance about horses, it seemed, I wondered if it was the cold weather there. It seemed like the fur, is that called fur on a horse? Do you call it yeah. fur? Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it was really like thick and like furry. I mean, do they grow like thicker coats because of the cold? Well, that's, that's about all horses is they always will grow what we call a winter coat. Okay. So it's just their hair gets like longer and it's almost like an extra layer for their warmth. So every horse has one. Um, probably here more than more than most places because of how cold it does get. But yeah. Um, 
so then they have like you know their shedding period where it gets warmer and you brush out all of that extra hair that they're shedding because it's warm now so he was he was in the middle of starting to grow his winter coat wow well he's a beautiful horse and do you get to ride him often or do you just like what what's your schedule with tango um i like to ride him as often as i can just work on you know endurance stuff um bending in the turns especially big with barrel racing is uh getting him to bend his body into the turn instead of just making a sharp turn because then he gets unbalanced and doesn't go well for there (laughs) well yeah tell us about barrel racing i had to look that up to see what it was um how long have you been doing that and how did you learn how to do that Uh, my mom has been my teacher for everything so she's really taught me how to barrel race um she taught me how to drive horses for carriages all of it um barrel racing i probably got into i mean i've always been interested in it but i started doing it locally at the altamont fair uh, probably about six, seven years ago is when I started doing it. And just describe for our listeners what exactly it is. <laughs> I mean, they're barrel oh. set up and you, you, it's a competition where you're trying to be the fastest. Is that the idea? You yeah. get timed? So, and yep. So it's uh, three barrels set in a triangle pattern. Then you just run a clover leaf around it and as fast as you can. <laughs> Wow. Do you ever fall <laughs> off? Um, I I did once. Actually, my horse slipped onto me, but that was during a practice run, so it didn't really count or anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, you can, your horse can get unbalanced and slip, or, you know, they could make a wrong turn and you fall off, or there's a lot of different things, but it's always a possibility to fall off in riding. So what is it that keeps you doing that? I mean, it sounds dangerous. What What is it that you like about it that makes you pursue that? Um, I don't know. It's kind of a rush. It's a adrenaline, adrenaline it gives you. It's, I, don't know, I think it's a lot of fun. I love doing it. Wow. And the pictures show you in the snow. So when you're riding tango, are you just riding through snow trails? Is that it? The horse doesn't uh, yeah. have snowshoes, or how, how do they, <laughs> they? It's not so deep that they can't that he can't navigate it. No, it's it's not too deep now. And right now, I just keep him on like so. Um, it's actually pretty cool on the um, on the roads that we that we ride him on. There's like a little four wheeling slash uh, snow machine trail on the side of it. So we just ride there where it's it's pretty packed down snow right now. So it's not as it's not slippery or anything. Wow. Well, I wonder just if you could kind of give us an idea that might inspire other students who are listening in and they're at BKW now and here you've achieved just all kinds of things, (laughs) but um, (laughs) particularly this American FFA degree. I mean, um, as I understand it, it, the award was made at the big convention in Indianapolis. Is that how how it played out? Just tell us a little about what what that was like. Um, So going to nationals, it's um, I've gone three years now and it's just it's this huge event and it's got 57 to 59,000 members of the FA across the United States joining 
So um, it's really cool. They call it a sea of blue because everybody's wearing their blue corduroy jackets. So all you see is the blue jackets across the Lucas Oil Stadium. And it's it's probably the coolest experience I've ever had. Wow. So was your family there or your fiance? Did, did you have a like a uh, rooting section? This time around, it was just my fiance and I. But I bet your mom was really proud. It sounds like she's been. Yeah. Does she miss yep. you being in Alaska? I mean, that's so far yeah, you wouldn't get to visit very often, I would think. Um, I mean, we visit often enough, yeah. I guess. Um, we're actually planning on coming back for this Christmas, too. So we will get to see each other quite a few times during the year. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm sure there are many things I didn't touch on. Our time has gone so fast. Do you have any closing thoughts or things that you wanted to say um, about not just your FAA experience, but, you know, living in Alaska or the kinds of things you're pursuing with your life? Um, I mean, things that I like to say to people is that when it seems... Like, it's getting tough to just keep on pushing through it, and there's always light at the end of the tunnel, they say. And it's it's proven a fact to me, so. That's a great philosophy. Going. Can you give us one example of how that worked for you? Yeah. Um, so it took me about two and a half years to work up to my American degree. Um, so going through college, um, I had a lot of a lot of hours in college and then trying to get my hours done for the American degree. So it was just a lot of time consuming things and long, long days. So going through those, that two years in college, um, it got really tough. So like then trying like my senior year, trying to finally complete my application. It was like late hours of the night I was staying up to, to finish it. And, you know, in the end of it, I got my American degree and finished college. So it just it all worked out in the end and all got done. 